I'm not going to lie that this is going to be kind of a tough episode to listen to because we play about one minute of a 911 call. But I think it's really important as far as Ian Hutchinson's story goes, from being clinically dead to a certified pickleball instructor. So let's get to the intro to hear from Ian. Welcome to the Pickleball Fire podcast, where it's all about pickleball. Today, I'd like to welcome to the Pickleball Fire podcast, Ian Hutchinson, better known as Hutch. How are you doing today, Hutch? Hey, Lynn. How are you going? It's all going good. All right. Well, let's get into things. You actually reached out. I think I had sent an email about the Pickleball Fire magazine and you reached out to me with your story. And I think people might already imagine that you've got a bit of an accent because I think most of the audience here is still in the US and Canada. And so tell me a little bit about you and Pickleball and you're playing in Australia. Yeah, well, I certainly do have the Morgan Evans uh, accent going here. Yeah, well, I've actually been uh, diagnosed with OPD, uh, obsessive pickleball disorder. It probably all started when about six months ago, I was just driving up to the in-laws place, saw these weird people playing this game with a yellow ball. And then I got to the in-laws and then got a bit obsessed and started researching it all day and contacted the local club. And the following Monday night, I was playing pickleball and it was love at first dink. And I guess being a ball sport junkie, um, background in squash and a bit of tennis, badminton, whatever, even which is a good old Australian sport, but mainly for the sledging. I also saw pickleball had a bit of uh, sort of high-speed chess aspect to it as well. So I kept researching and found, you know, people like Glenn Peterson who who'd got into the sport at a later age like me. And then I read A Beginner to Pro, that blog series by Rob Nunnery, which really intrigued me. And I thought I was up for a new challenge, so it inspired me. And I set myself a goal of never playing pickleball to playing in the Australian Pickleball Championships in 150 days. So that's how it all started and away I went. All right. Well, before I get into some of that latter aspect that we just talked about, I did have to ask you about the comment about you saw these weird people playing pickleball. Why did you think they were weird? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, they they weren't. I, I just thought it was a, a game I had never seen before. And uh, it, it really got me intrigued. And, you know, being a bit of a ball sport junkie, as I said, I, I just wanted to go, well, what's that all about? And it looked like something fun and I wanted to get into it. So five minutes from my place, I didn't realize it, but there were six outdoor pickleball courts. So um, pretty much been playing a bunch ever since. Now, I really have- addictive. Uh, Yes, yes. And and actually, you know, everybody does talk about it being so addictive, but I like the way you called it the obsessive pickleball disorder. I I don't think that's like the ICD-10 code, I think, for pickleball addiction. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, yeah. So when I get into something, I, I certainly like to throw myself into it. So, you know, jumped on all these YouTube videos, got some books, you know, went on to did Steve Kennedy's online course, Morgan Evans, Coach Me Pickleball. I think you and I first met it on the Pickleball Summit with Tony and CJ, Primetime Pickleball, the Dominating Doubles. And I'm now into Dynamic Doubles with uh, Helene Spar, I think, who, you know, has just got into that. So it's pretty interesting. Yes, that's actually a great course. I had Hella on the Pickleball Fire podcast probably six, eight months ago, 
And I joined her course and it's wonderful. And actually, interestingly enough, I think that episode with Hella is one of the most uh, listened to in the series. And, you know, I've got over a hundred podcasts out, out right now, but I mean, is that kind of, you know, it sounds like you set yourself a goal to go from not playing pickleball to playing in the Australian championships. It sounds like you did achieve that goal and it must've been a little bit of a challenge because this was during COVID. Is that why you were doing so much online learning? Yeah, well, that's exactly right. So it was all in Australia. There has been some, as you might have heard, some pretty heavy lockdowns. So basically, you know, started getting a bit of a training program together. Self-taught student of the game in COVID lockdown, set up a bit of a wall in the garage, a rebound ball, a wall, all that sort of stuff. But the um, the bad news, the story is that the Australian Pickleball Championships were cancelled due to COVID, which we got a, a second and third wave of. So unfortunately, to the disappointment of many people, we, it never happened. But I got to track my journey, which from like beginner. So I, I like to be a bit of a boff. And I think you had Randy Kaddish, Kaddish, is it, on your podcast a while back as well. He seems to get right into it, a bit of a pickleball nerd and boffin like me. And I like to be a guinea pig um, in my own laboratory of learning. So I've been tracking be- beginner through to intermediate, more advanced player. So I found the process really interesting and want to apply that and help other people uh, learn the game and grow the sport as well. And that's one of the things, too, I think you've set up is a pickleball coaching site there in Australia, or or you're in the midst of doing that. Yeah, well, in my journey, I started researching coaches because, again, I wanted to fast track my journey as as quickly as possible. And I found that there weren't that many coaches around. And I think Australia's probably, I'm going to say, five or 10 years behind the States. And so, yeah, I, I just saw there was a real lack of coaching. So again, through COVID, my drilling buddy and I, he's actually in the state squad, we thought, well, why don't we do some more learning? So we actually did Mark Renison's Pickleball Coaching International Cert 1 and just to A, to learn ourselves, but also what well, gives you uh, accreditation as well. So that was a really interesting journey. And I want to bring some more professionalism into the education of the sport here in Australia. And so I'll be starting up Pickleball Coaching Australia and with a network of coaches and, and my background's in corporate education. And I was lucky enough to win Educator of the Year a couple of years ago. So I'm just trying to revolutionise how it's taught and try and do things a little bit differently here, certainly. And again, there's a lot we can learn from the States around all that. And so are you actually creating a certification program there too? No, we're not, but we're developing a range of programs, obviously, for intro sessions to grow the sport for people into it. For example, running one this Saturday coming up, private lessons, group lessons, weekly training, and even um, looking at, at potentially setting up an ongoing academy, you know, pickleball machines, training apps, all that sort of thing. So really trying to give it a real shot in the arm here. And, you know, it's a bit of fun being able to work with people and, you know, share shared my journey and how I've learned from nothing to to progressing. And yeah, looking forward to really expanding that throughout the country. And in terms of what's going on in Australia, in your country, you said that the sport is probably five to 10 years behind the US. I mean, do you have any sense of the number of people playing there or, or whether there's many courts or, you know, what's the state? Yeah, so we've got a pickleball association in virtually every state of Australia. So there's, and each state has been running their own state championships, run a national championships for the last couple of years. As far as numbers go, the estimate at the moment is probably around 
two to three thousand people, which is nothing on I think the states is four point what four point two or something. And you know there are pickleball superstores starting up, but the, there's probably more of a need for more courts. And you know for each state or the national championships, each state championship, I think they've had anywhere from you know maybe a hundred to. 250 players. I think the Nationals this year was probably going to be looking at maybe somewhere between three and 400. So it's nothing compared to the States, but it's, you know, you've got to start somewhere. And I think the capital of pickleball in Australia is Queensland. So it's like the Florida of the States. And that's the same sort of location. The Olympics is going to be run in 2032. Wow. And hopefully uh, pickleball will be in those Olympics. Let's hope. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I think, what is there, something like 62 countries now? There are, yes. I had interviewed Pat Murphy a couple months ago, who's the president of the International Federation of Pickleball. And at that time, he said they were bringing on their 62nd country. So by the time this podcast comes out, who knows, there might be another country or two. Yeah, let's hope. Now, you had mentioned, too, that you started playing pickleball at a later age. Are the demographics of the people playing pickleball younger, you think, in Australia than they are maybe in the States? No, I think it's probably, I'm going to say actually a tad older in Australia, but there are more and more youngies coming through. I mean, I still think the average age is probably around, I'm going to say late 50s, early 60s. So, yeah, but it's all about growing the sport, getting younger people in. Again, the perception here is still it's for older people, retirees. So, again, I'm trying to refresh the image of the game here and hopefully we can give it a bit more of a younger vibe and and grow it that way. Now, with your personal journey, you had mentioned that, like, during COVID, you were using a, a rebounder. Can you talk a little bit about what that is, how you used it to improve your game? Yeah, I basically cleared out the garage and started just hitting up against the wall like many people. I got a rebounder like a normal sports baseball rebounder and just started playing with that because, again, it's a very different feel to things like squash and tennis from starting out. So, But quickly transitioned to to being able to use the outdoor courts when the COVID lockdown you know, came into to play. And, you know, I even did things like mark up my driveway and my garage and muck around that way and had a mate come around. We put up a net and just started dinking because, again, when I started, the, the whole concept of dinking, resets, third shot drops and the whole softer game was a real area that needed to be, you know, to, to get to the next level. So that was a real focus that we really tried to concentrate on. And since you actually have been tracking your journey, I mean, do you have anything that you would like to bring out in terms of what's been really unique about your process or or really just kind of a key learning? Well, I I think, and again, I'm I'm trying to bring some concepts from the corporate world into the the, the training methodology. Mm -hmm. I think it's really important for people to do a SWOT analysis, you know, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. Um, what are, what are the areas that therefore from that that they need to focus on? I, I quickly found out that it was the soft game, dinks, resets, and and third shot drops. 
And then the then to just to drill the hell out of those and spend 80% of the time drilling, 20% of the time, you know, playing games and also making sure that all the drilling is gamified. So it has a competitive element to it. And and then videoing yourself because it's just amazing. You don't realize what errors and technique faults that you have in, in place. So trying to iron those out yourself, particularly when you're in COVID and lockdown and particularly when, you, when you're trying to do, you know, self-learning and self-coaching. Now, are you still doing that ratio in terms of the 80% of the time drilling or has that, is it more plain now that uh, you have the ability to actually go outside and do it? Well, during the lockdown, it was pretty much 100% drilling because of the restrictions here, we could only play with one other person. So, but now that they have been relaxed, I've flipped it over to probably 80% playing just to get back into the doubles. Because when I was playing a lot of skinny singles, I was finding getting back into the doubles game, I was doing an awful lot of poaching and uh, probably pissing off quite a few of my doubles players because I was just so used to trying to own the court through playing singles, uh, skinny singles. Now, you've talked a little bit about your sports background already, and it sounds like, you know, you've been an athlete throughout your life, but I think you had a really serious incident back in 2018. Yeah, I did. And probably to give people context on that, let me uh, just play a little bit of what happened and uh, give people a much better idea. absolutely something. Tell me a little bit about what happened. Yeah, well, I was um, out on my normal Tuesday morning bike ride with with my mate and just out of the blue, I went into cardiac arrest and I've always seen myself as a fit and healthy guide. I've actually just cycled a few months earlier from Amsterdam to Paris and um, just a very regular, you know, boring, normal, casual bike ride. And within seconds, I don't remember any of it, I was um, in cardiac arrest. I was clinically dead for 18 minutes. Luckily, my mate Don jumped in and a few bystanders, one a runner came past who had just recently done his CPR certification. And so between them all, the rank triple O in Australia were 911 in the States. And I was lucky enough that they all worked on me uh, for about 10 minutes. The ambulance took about 10 minutes to get there. And that extract was just a one minute extract of what happened in that 10 minute phone call. And so why was it that you were dead for 18 minutes? I mean, what exactly happened? 
So cardiac arrest is distinguished from a heart attack. Cardiac arrest is an electrical issue of the heart where the heart goes into a fibrillation, electrical fibrillation. It can happen to anyone. It's just a freak electrical issue of the heart. And therefore, if the heart's electrical pulses aren't working properly, then you don't get oxygenated blood to the brain. So therefore, you, your body and your heart isn't supporting yourself. So you need to have the compressions to keep oxygenated blood to the brain until a defibrillator comes because the defibrillator is the only thing that will restart your heart after a sudden cardiac arrest. Whereas a heart attack is a plumbing issue of the heart, typically, you know, cholesterol or clogging, might be diet, lack of exercise or genetic issue. And that is usually uh, something that happens over maybe 10 minutes to an hour. It's much more treatable, whereas a cardiac arrest, we're talking minutes. Every minute of inaction in a cardiac arrest reduces someone's chances of survival by 10%. And I know in the States, there's about 350,000 people in the States who die of a sudden cardiac arrest, the electrical issue at the heart, every year. So it's one every 90 seconds. So, and the average age is about 60. So, you know, which again is right in the sweet spot for many pickleball players. So I think it's, you know, important to understand CPR. And we realised after when I got out of hospital that, gee, we were lucky and but how important would it, would it be now to learn CPR even more? And Especially, I believe... Especially, sorry, the survival rate with cardiac arrest is only 9%. So only 9% of people survive, so I was one of the lucky ones, whereas a heart attack uh, survival rate's about 80%. It's much more treatable. Wow. And, you know, my brother had a heart attack, but he was actually clinically dead for quite a few moments too, and... I mean, it's just, I can't even imagine, you know, everything that you went through. I mean, honestly, how are you now? Look, I'm great. I, I've got a, a defibrillator and ICD in my chest. So uh, I feel much luckier than the um, average person walking down the street. And it will reset my heart if, if there's ever a problem again. So um feeling very comforted about that. But because of what happened, we we went and set up a, a website called CPR Friendly, which helps educate people really quickly on the basics of CPR and raises CPR awareness. Because 80% of the time, a, a cardiac arrest will happen in front of family and friends, you know, and at home, so or playing pickleball. So just knowing the basics of CPR is really important. And understanding that getting a defibrillator on someone really is equally important. So having access to that defibrillator in possibly pickleball clubs is something to consider. So does this impact your pickleball playing at all? Or are you pretty much okay no, on the court? not at all. Not at all. I've, I've, well, I'm going to say funnily enough, but a couple of months ago, I was playing and I it was match point and I my heart went into fibrillation and just as they were serving and my my defib actually shocked me and I fell to the ground and uh, people watching went, oh, I just thought you were disappointed because you missed the serve. And basically I was fine, popped back up and um, a bit groggy, but, uh, you know, all good. So it doesn't really affect my day-to-day life uh, that much at all. But what it does do, I think, is gives me an attitude that to be really appreciative of every day. And uh, it's now been three years since since that fatal, well, almost emergency happened. And it's just great to have gratitude for every day. And it's also um, great that I've discovered Pickleball. And <laughs> it's fun and I really enjoy it. I do have to ask this. I mean, you said you were serving for match point. Was that, did the game finish or what happened? 
<laughs> oh, they took the point and won, would you believe? It was like 10, 10, uh, 10 11 or something. So anyway, my, most people didn't realise what had happened to me and so I didn't make a big fuss about it. But very nice to know that the uh, DFib works a treat. So I'm very lucky to have it. Absolutely. It's great that we're at a point in technology that you can have a device like that implanted and it works well. Exactly. Yeah. So now, the, key things, the key things for people are to realise, um, if in doubt, just ring 911 or triple O in Australia, get pushing on the uh, compressions because that keeps oxygenated blood to the brain and try and get a defib as quickly as possible and turn it on and follow the prompts. That's the quick 15-second CPR training course for you there. Right. And that's such a good point because with your website, I mean, you know, to go and actually truly have CPR training, it's a lot more involved, but you can learn some really important things. It sounds like, you know, within a very short period of time that can still save somebody's life. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, a, a, certifi- a certified course, you know, might take two or three hours. A lot of people don't have the time to do that or they're, they're not particularly motivated. But if you go to cprfriendly.org, we've set it up so you can actually do a 15-second training, 45 seconds, three minutes, 10 minutes, or there's a, a free 45-minute webinar which runs through the whole process um, where um, my mate Don and I take you through the story, but we also teach the doctors A, B, C, D. So it's a refresher of all the basics you need to know about CPR and the proper doctor's A, B, C, D process. So it's all there for everyone for free. So get amongst it. (laughs) And I'm now a Selkirk distributor as well, paddle distributor, and uh, all sales through Pickleball Coaching Australia of Selkirk paddles, all profits go towards CPR friendly so people can play pickleball and also help save a life. That's great to know. And I guess uh, the shipping might be expensive to the US. No, it's not too bad, actually. Not too bad. I keep stock here in Australia, so it's uh, it works out fine. Okay, so that's good to hear then. So it sounds like you can accommodate people who want to sell Kurt Paddle. They want to support, you know, your initiative with CPR. And so whether they're in the States or the Canada or anywhere else in the world, you can ship anywhere it sounds we can but i mean look it's mainly set up for australian purchases but in america obviously you can just go to selkirksports.com and, and get your paddles directly from them all right well anyways this has been uh, such a interesting podcast and you know i'm just so glad to be here talking to you on the pickleball fire podcast is there anything else that we should know today lynn i think just as far as pickleball goes drill and i'm a big fan of focusing on the first five shots in the game and uh, if you can get the first five shots going then you're more likely to win the game through consistency and letting your opponent make the mistake and as far as saving lives call emergency services push and uh, get a defib on people as quickly as possible and the combination of all those hopefully make the world go around better All right. It was great to have you today, Hutch, on the Pickleball Fire podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. I know it's early morning there in Australia, but thank you for being on. No worries, Lynn. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Pickleball Fire podcast. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to give it a five-star review on Apple iTunes. 